you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. If you're in Psalm 139, let's begin in verse 7. The Bible says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I want to preach tonight on the presence of God. The presence of God. As we started this text, if you come back to the very beginning, the question is asked, where can I flee from thy presence? And then God takes the next few verses to basically say, you can't get away from me. No matter where you go, I'm already going to be there. And that either thrills you or terrifies you, depending on how you've been living your life. If you've been living your life the right way, that's a thrilling thought that God has, sees everything that you did this last week. He knows everything about you. That's exciting. But if you're not where you need to be, that's kind of a terrifying thought that God knows everything. And so there's a great story in the Bible that illustrates this biblical truth, and we're going to look at that tonight. When I first moved to Faith Baptist Bible College, I did that three years ago. I was moving from Edmonton, Alberta, and I knew this many people in Iowa. I did not know one student. I did not know one faculty member. And so we moved down there, and, if you, and at our age, to start over was kind of a challenge. And so we get down there, and we're, and we're all struggling. My wife's struggling, I'm struggling, our daughter, 16-year-old daughter's struggling. We're having a really tough time. And we're probably about five weeks in, and, and I can tell that my daughter's really struggling, and my wife's really struggling, but I'm really burdened for my daughter. And we did family devotions, and, and so I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do in family devotions tonight? And I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home tonight, and I'm going to just ask the question, what doesn't change? What in our life, uh, yeah, everything else has changed in our life, but what hasn't changed? And what I was thinking and hoping for was, God hasn't changed, the Bible hasn't changed. So we got down for family devotions that night, and I sat down, and I said, my youngest daughter's name is Beth, and I said, Beth, I know a lot has changed in our life. Almost everything has changed, but Beth, what hasn't changed? And she thought for a minute, and she said, well, our last name hasn't changed. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's true, honey, that's true. That's not what I was thinking of. But have you ever been in that point where you say, the only thing that didn't change was my last name? And you say, man, everything's gone topsy-turvy. Everything is different. Everything's overwhelming. I mean, I got, I got lost on our campus three times in a row, and I was the president. <laughs> and I got in one building. We had no signage. We have signage now mostly because of me because I couldn't get out of the building once I got in there. I was like, please help me get out of this building. Where's the door I came in at? I can't find it. And you know when you go through those moments where everything's topsy-turvy and everything's different and everything's changing, isn't it great to know that there is a God that doesn't change? And there's also a God who's with you in all of those moments. God is infinite in every aspect. He's infinite in wisdom, power, goodness, and so forth. But God is also infinite in his presence. He's not confined or limited to any one place. He's present in all places at once. Theologically, we would use the term he's omnipresent. If you have your Bible, go over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 26. He hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath appointed the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, 
though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring. What's the Bible telling us in, this, in the New Testament? He's telling us, I'm everywhere. And wherever you are, I'm there. And there's a great story in the Bible that tells us about the presence of the Lord, and it's the story of Jonah. Take your Bible and go back to the book of Jonah, if you would, tonight. And we're going to try and spend most of the rest of our time here in Jonah. Jonah has been recruited to go on a short-term missions trip to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, was the greatest superpower in the world, and it was headed for destruction. And God's plan for saving this city was recruiting Jonah to go on this short-term missions trip. We see that in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The Assyrians were the sworn enemies of the Jews. In fact, the Assyrians were so brutal that when they would take over a country, they would cut people's heads off and make a pyramid of those heads outside the gate. If we were to use this in a modern-day setting, it would be like you being called to go reach Al-Qaeda right after 9-11. There wasn't a lot of people that say, hey, I want to go do that. And this is what God's calling Jonah to do. And this is the last thing that he wanted to do is go hold a Bible conference in Nineveh. And so when God tells him to do this in verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What's he trying to get away from? If you're in the text, the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to get with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you don't know your geography, Tarshish is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And this would have taken about a one-year journey past Spain. I mean, he's planning to be disobedient for at least a year. And basically he's saying, I know God, I know you want me to go to Nineveh, you're really clear on that, there's no way I'm doing that. And in fact, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. It'd be like God telling you, go to Honolulu, and instead you go to India. And you just say, I'm just going in the exact opposite direction. And it tells us here that he paid the fare. Some people believe he bought out the whole ship. But whether he bought out the whole ship or he just bought his own ticket, he went down and he's very clear in this verse, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. In fact, you'll see later, he tells all the sailors this as he boards the ship. They all know as he gets on the ship, hey guys, just so you know, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. Verse four, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Cast forth the wares that were in the ship in the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. I mean, you think about this. This is a crazy storm. These guys are starting to get scared. They've called on their gods. Nothing's happening. Where's Jonah? He's asleep in the bottom of the ship. By the way, every time someone tells me I have peace about it, I mean, again, Pastor Gary and I, probably as we pastor, I've had a lot of people come in my office and tell me they're going to do something that I know is wrong, and then they finish it by saying, but I have peace about it. And this is my great comeback. So did Jonah. (laughs) Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the ship. He has great peace, and he's going in the exact opposite direction. You know, you can have great peace and not be right with God. Man, he's good. Hey, I'm sleeping in the bottom of the ship. And so verse 6, so the shipmaster came in him and said to him, what meanest thou, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. 
And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. <laughs> Jonah, who is your God? Well, my God's the God of the sea. <laughs> and all these guys are going, oh, junk. <laughs> Why couldn't he have been the God of wheat? You've got to be kidding me. Your God's the God of the sea? And they are extremely afraid. And it says in verse 10, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. When they found out the God of the sea is mad, they're really afraid because he was really clear when he got on the ship, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. And why? Because he told them. That's what the verse says. Why he told them, we're not told. But as he goes and he buys the ship, he told all the guys, just in case you're wondering, I'm running from the presence of God. But they all had gods, so that didn't really bother them until they found out his God's the God of the sea, and they're in big trouble. And they said to him in verse 11, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea so that the sea shall be calm for you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Now, if you're thinking with me tonight, I know it's Wednesday night, some of you are tired, but just think this one through. Where is he supposed to go? He's supposed to go to Nineveh. So they have a really bad storm. They're afraid they're going to die. They found out his God is the God of the sea. So they come to him and say, what can we do to survive? If you think that through, what would be the normal answer to that? Where is he supposed to go? Nineveh. I think the normal answer to that would be, you know what, we got to turn the ship around and get me to Nineveh. And I think God would have helped that happen. You know what Jonah says? The only option, <laughs> the only option is to throw me overboard. <laughs> you, you ever wonder why he said that? Why didn't he do the common thing that people would think? The, you'd think the only option is i got to get to Nineveh. You know what he says? The only option to throw me overboard. You know why? Because Jonah said, I would rather die than go where God wants me to go. <laughs> there, there's no way I'm going to Nineveh. I would rather die than go to Nineveh. So if you guys want to live, the only option is throw me overboard. Wherefore, verse 14, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. If you've ever been out in the sea in a storm, storms don't stop like that. But the Bible tells us as soon as he hits the water, that storm stopped. And the Bible says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. And the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. These men rode hard to get him to shore, but they couldn't. And when they realized that we just can't get this ship to shore, our only option is to try this, they threw him overboard. I think there's a lot of practical lessons that come from the life of Jonah in this area of God's presence. Point number one tonight, it is impossible to run away from God's judgment. It's impossible to run away from God's judgment. If you're disobeying God tonight, you are not going to get away with it. 
You know how many people in so many churches go to church, they sing the songs, but they know in their private life there's things that are not right? You know how many couples come to church and their marriage is not right? They come to church and their thought life is a total mess. Their thought life is not right. If people saw your texts, if they saw how you talked at work this week, people would be shocked. And we think we're getting away with it, but God says you're not getting away with it. If I put it this way, you can run, but you can't hide. God knows where you are tonight. Take your Bible and go keep your finger in Jonah. We'll be right back. We'll go over to Jeremiah chapter 23. Let's back up to Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Jeremiah chapter 23. Look what he says in verse 24 of Jeremiah 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? You realize tonight there is no such thing as a secret sin? You know, my years as a pastor, it's amazed me how God brings sin to light. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I took our teens on a youth retreat, and our teens got those little bottles of alcohol from an airplane. I have no idea where they got them. And they drank them, obviously, and then they stuck them in the very bottom of the garbage can and filled the garbage can with all this paper. At night, I took the garbage can and I emptied it. And when you empty a garbage can, what's on the bottom is now where? On the top. I said, I know we have some teenagers that are drinking. And I was like, whoa, how do you know that? <laughs> and I held up the empty alcohol bottles. I could tell you how wives have caught their husbands, how husbands have caught their wives. Amazing stories of how God brings things to light. Can I encourage you tonight? God tells us in Proverbs, if you confess and forsake your sins, you will have mercy. But if you hide your sins, the Bible says you will not prosper. There's no such thing as a secret sin. And if you sit here tonight, I don't have to name all the sins, you know them. And if you're here tonight and you're hiding sin, you're not dealing with it, would tonight be the night where you say, I've got to stop living like this? Because if you keep down that path, eventually you're going to get exposed. But the Bible's very clear. What you uncover, God will cover. But what you try and cover, God has a great way of uncovering. And I want to challenge you. You talk to someone who has to make things right with a spouse, it's far better to confess than to get caught. And God challenges us tonight and says, you can run, but it's impossible to run away from God's judgment. Not even the privacy of your own mind is private, according to Scripture. All of our attempts to cover up our sin will ultimately fail. There's a sense in which every sin we do is a denial of the presence of God. If God was really standing next to you, would you talk to your spouse the way that you did sometimes? If God was really standing next to you, would you go to that site on the internet? If God was really standing next to you, would your speech change? Would it change the movies you watch if God was on the couch? You know what? A lot of us live our Christian lives and really we forget there's a God. I would say it this way, we are practical atheists. We give the right answer, but we live as if there's no God. We don't read our Bibles, we don't pray, and we really do whatever we want to do without a thought for God. And God's saying, you're forgetting I'm here. You're living your life as if I'm not here, but I am here. 
And Jonah runs an experiment in chapter, in verse three, he says, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. He tells everyone on the ship, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. When they find out his God's the God of the sea, why are they concerned? Because he told them, I'm running from this God. And no matter where you go tonight, you can't get away from God. When I was in Bible college, God gave me an illustration that really illustrates this point. Now you won't know the the topography, but where the college that Pastor Gary and I went to was honestly in the middle of nowhere. We were 45 minutes away from the closest store, Walmart. And on your way, and that was in a town called Iron Mountain, and from our college that was really in the middle of the woods, you drive through a little tiny town called Niagara. Niagara was a paper mill town. There was a river that ran through it, and it was built on a cliff. In my senior year, we wanted to start a hockey team at my college. And no one there had ever played hockey. They were all soccer players. So we had to get them hockey equipment. And so anyone that grew up in the North, we had hockey equipment, but we had a lot of soccer players we had to get hockey equipment for. And so as I was looking in the newspaper trying to find equipment, I found a guy who said, I'm selling all of my hockey equipment for $120. And I called a soccer player up and I said, hey, listen, I can get all of your hockey equipment for $140. Now, if you're doing the math with me, I'm going to make $20 on that deal. 25 years ago in a Bible college, that was big dollars. That was big money. And it was finals week, and my wife, I was married at the time, and my wife was the one typing my papers, and, and my wife said, Jim, you don't have time to go do that. And said, listen, honey, it's a half hour up, half hour back. That's 20 bucks an hour. Where else can we make 20 bucks an hour? She said, come on, you can't do that. I said, listen, I'm going to go do it. So I hopped in the car, drove up. I talked the guy down to $100. I'm making $40 on this deal. I am pumped, I'm stoked, I'm so excited. I'm coming back from Iron Mountain, I'm driving through that little town of Niagara, and as you come in, it's a steep hill. You come down a hill and make a corner. As I come down and make that corner, a police officer comes around the corner the other way. And probably like all of us, I look at my speedometer and I see that I'm speeding. I'm going too fast, and right as we pass, I see him jam on his brake lights. And for whatever reason, the thought went through my brain, I cannot lose my $40. And I decided I'm going to try and get away from the police. And it was dark. I came around that corner. I had never been anywhere in Niagara except the road that went right through Niagara. But I took the first right. I took the first right. I had a Plymouth Horizon. Those of you that know that car, it's a terrible, horrible car. I stomped it to the floor. I was doing 30 miles an hour going up this hill. And I'm like, I am so caught. I am so caught. I got to get off this road. And so I'm looking for the next road that can turn right. And so as I'm going up this Mount Everest, I turn to the next right. And it's again, I look in the rearview mirror, no headlights, no cop car. I'm like, oh, that's good. But except that I look up now and it says dead end road. So, but it's a long dead end road. It's two blocks long. So I drive to the very last house at the end of the two blocks. I pull in the car. I turn the car off. I turn all the lights off and I sit in the dark. And minutes go by. And I'm watching, and I'm about ready to leave. I'm about ready to say, there's no way that police officer, he must have given up. And two blocks away in the dark, I see headlights. You can't tell what kind of car it is. And those headlights drive all the way down and pull up right behind my car, and it's the police officer. (laughs) And I sat there going, you've got to be kidding me. There is no way in the dark, there is no way he saw my car two blocks down. It's impossible. How in the world did he drive down and pull up right behind me? 
And I hopped out of my car, and he hopped out of his car. And the front door of the house opened, and a little boy walked out and said, Hi, Dad. I parked at the police officer's house. That's hard to do. I'm in a town of 3,000 people, and I picked his house to park in. I look back now and say, I got away. He went home for lunch, and there I was. He said, what are you doing? I said, I I didn't even know what to say. And I didn't want to tell him I was a pastoral major at a Christian college. He said, follow me to the courthouse. He gave me a $60 ticket. I now lost $20 and a lot of time. And those of you that are early married know what a fun conversation that was with my sweetheart. Where have you been? Well, honey, I was just spending two hours losing $20. And I tell you, God shredded me. I felt so bad. I had, kindly had his name on the ticket. I called him up the next day. I mean, God bothered me because we'd never talked. He didn't ask me any questions. He just took me to the courthouse, gave me a $60 ticket. The next day I called him up. I said, sir, I just got to be honest. I said, I'm, I'm a pastoral major studying to be a pastor. And I've never tried to run away from the police in my entire life. I don't know what possessed me to do it this night. I promise you I will never do it again. And I've kept that promise. I said, I just got to call and say I'm sorry. And he started laughing and he said, I still can't believe you parked at my house. (laughs) And so, but I will tell you tonight, that has been a great illustration that you can run, but you can't hide from God. Because when we try and run away from God, it's just like that. You're like, there's no way God saw that. There's no way God knows where I'm at. That's what Jonah thought. I'm running from the presence of the Lord. There's no way God knows where I'm at. God doesn't know what I'm doing, except God showed up. And God sent the big storm. Few things are more helpful in restraining sin than a keen awareness of God's constant presence. You know why you need to pray and read your Bible every day? It reminds you that God's there. And if you can do that every single day, it'll help you throughout your day to make good choices because it'll constantly remind you God's there. And you know what? You're gonna learn, if you don't learn it, learn it from scripture. Jonah tried to run from the presence of the Lord, but he was not successful. You can't run away from God's judgment. If you wanna keep away from sin, remember how impossible it is to escape God's notice. Never live as though God does not exist. Speak to God frequently throughout the day. Second point, you can't run away from God's judgment, but secondly, you can't run away from God's mercy and grace. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? Man, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be here tonight. I stand before you tonight because I have a merciful, gracious God. And I tell you, when I see God's mercy and grace in my life, it makes me want to serve him. It just makes me say, God, you've been so good to me. You've blessed me in so many ways. I mean, in chapel, we heard a, a guy sing a special this morning about God's good been good to me. What a great truth in that song. But he's been great to us in his mercy and in his grace. Look in chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me in the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. 
The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. (laughs) I would ask you tonight, why does it take us so much before we remember God? But you know what's amazing about God? When you get in a mess and you're about to die, if you cry out to God, guess what? He's there. You know the Bible says that if you confess and forsake your sins, he promises to forgive you. I love the verse in the Old Testament that says, his mercy is renewed, how often? Every morning. And don't you love the next part? Great is his faithfulness. Man, praise God, you can't outrun God's mercy and grace. No matter how bad you've been, no matter what you've done, God has enough mercy and grace to cover that. Satan's such a liar, he lies to you and says, go ahead and do it, it's not that bad. And then after you do it, he says, it's so terrible, you can never serve the Lord. You can't do anything for God. That's not true tonight. No matter what's happened in your life tonight, God has enough mercy and grace for you. The last thing that the Bible says about those old sailors, if you go back to chapter uh, 16, or chapter 1, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. I believe these men got saved. I believe they trusted in the true and living God. And I think they made a promise that they would live for him. Like the sailors, Jonah received God's ever-present grace. In fact, he couldn't escape it. First, he felt like he was drowning, but by the time Jonah finally asked for God's mercy, he thought he was a dead man. We see that in verse 7. When the, when the seaweed wrapped around him in the depths, he finally cries out to God. And God showed up and sent a fish. God provided a great fish, and even... In the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a great fish, God was there to hear Jonah's prayer. Jonah couldn't run away from God's grace and mercy. When people hear the story about Jonah, they often are excited about what happened in the whale, but what's really the story of Jonah is about what happened inside of Jonah. And that great fish swallows Jonah up, and as he's in the belly of that whale, sloshing around for three days, he has a change of heart. God, could I go to Nineveh? (laughs) No one wants to go to Nineveh more than I do. You just ran away from me. You just willfully disobeyed me. And you know what God says when Jonah repents? Okay, I forgive you. I have enough mercy and grace. I don't know what your past is. Probably there's something in all of our past we wouldn't want to share publicly tonight. I stand before you and say I'm so thankful that God has given his mercy and grace to cover my sin. And I would say tonight that's only if you're a Christian. I can't die for you, you're a sinner like I am. You can't die for me, you're a sinner like I am, but Jesus Christ died on the cross. And Jesus Christ says, if you'll accept me as your savior, I'll cover every sin you've ever done and every sin you ever will do. Praise God tonight. You can't run away from God's mercy and God's grace. Perhaps you've been running around looking for meaning and joy in life. Is it possible that the whole time you've been running away from God? Maybe you've messed up in a huge way and you felt God can't use me. In fact, keep your Bible here in Jonah. Go to Ezekiel. Just back up to Ezekiel 18. I love this passage. Ezekiel chapter 18. Look what he says in verse 20. 
The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Uh, Don't you love the next word? What's the next word in your Bible? All. Isn't that a great word? All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? You know, God doesn't find any pleasure in judgment, and he proves it in that verse. God doesn't have pleasure in judgment. You know what God has pleasure in? When you turn and live. That's why we use the term Savior. He loves to save you. And all of us need to be saved tonight. And praise God, you can't run away from God's judgment. Secondly, you can't run away from God's mercy and grace. Thirdly, you can't run away from God's call. Once you receive God's grace, you can't run away from God's call. It would have been much better for Jonah to obey God in the first place. Unfortunately for Jonah, when he was finally ready to obey God's call in his life, he found himself in a pool of vomit. Go back to chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. You know, did Jonah end up where God told him to go? He did. You know what I would challenge you? It's funny talking to young people, because young people think it's a big deal to give their life to God. Newsflash, God can do whatever he wants with your life. And a lot of young people think, if I give my life to God, it's a one-way ticket to Africa, and I'm going to wear polyester suits and look like Dr. Jim. And you say, no, that doesn't have to happen, all right? That's not what's going to happen if you give your life to God. But a lot of people think it's a big deal. You know what? Did Jonah end up where God told him to go? How many of you think he, in hindsight, he wishes he'd taken the boat? Let me challenge you. You're going to get where God wants you to go, but you can go by boat or you can go by barf. And let me challenge you, take the boat, all right? God's present in the call. Why did God save you? We looked at this on Monday night. One of the reasons God saved you was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Are you doing that? If you're here on Monday night, did God put a person on your heart? Have you started praying for that person since Monday night? Or did God speak to your heart on Monday night and nothing's changed? By the way, if you don't make a conscious effort to change, nothing will change. I think we have a lot of people in church that get stirred, but they don't change. And when God saved you, he put a call on your life, and one of those calls is to serve him by reaching out to lost people. You need to let people know how great God is, that there is a Savior, that there is hope. While you work with teenagers, the largest demographic that's committing suicide today is teenagers. Just three weeks ago, my wife and I were at the funeral of a brother of one of our students who took his own life. A permanent solution to a temporary problem. And that's heartbreaking. This world is hopeless tonight. They think the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. If you know the gospel, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you and I need to give them hope. We need to let them know there's hope tonight. There's something to live for. Man, aren't you excited to live for God tonight? Three of us are. That's great. (laughs) Man, you should be excited to live for God. Man, I'm excited that God put a call on my life. 
I mean, I'm telling you, I, I was uh, with Pastor Larry tonight, but you know, there's no reason to leave the Canadian Rockies for corn except God called me. In fact, even my own church, they just shook their heads and go, what are you doing? <laughs> You're leaving this for corn? But when God calls you, it's worth it. And when you know God's called you to serve in some certain way, you can run from that calling, but you can't run away from God. And if God's called you to do something, and he has called all of us to be a godly Christian, he's called all of us, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, by the what? By the love you have one for another. Do you love your brothers and sisters in this room tonight? I mean, really love them. Would you go to the mat for the people in this church just because they go to harvest? That's what a family does, right? Man, I didn't see everything. I had three sisters. I didn't see everything eye to eye to them, but I tell you, I would defend them to the death. Why? Because they're my sisters. And you have a call. If you're a Christian tonight and God called you to this church, by the way, who put you in this church? If you know your Bible, the Bible says God adds to the church. I was doing a radio broadcast with Pastor Gary, and we kind of started chuckling up there, just thinking, who would have ever thought when we were in college that we would end up on a radio station in Guam? I mean, if you had surveyed either one of us, I don't think either one of us would go, I know what's going to happen down the road. And here we are up in the radio station doing this interview going, man, what an amazing God. That's because both of us are saying, God, we'll be where you want us to be. And that's the best place to be tonight. And God's called you to reach out to lost people. God's called you to love each other. Do you know how many churches, it's the worst place to have a problem? That's not how it should be. In so many churches, if you have a problem, it's like blood in the shark tank. Instead of saying, no, church is the best place to have a problem. Because when I have a problem, my brothers and sisters surround me. My brothers and sisters love me. Man, my church is a family. If I got into trouble, our family would take care of me. I remember my dad. My dad got saved when I was five. He's not a pastor. But I remember he, he grew up in a broken home. His dad was an alcoholic. I remember he sat us down on Father's Day and he said, kids, I want to tell you something. No matter where you go in this life, there were six of us as a family. He said, you need to know that there's five people that would do anything for you. He said, that's what family is. You know what the Bible says when you got saved? He called you into a family. You're not in this church by, by luck or by accident. The Bible says he adds to the church as he sees fit. And you're in this church because God placed you here. It's a call. You need to be very careful if you leave this church. That doesn't mean God doesn't call people to a different ministry. Could I kindly say God's not going to call you to no ministry? God's not going to call you from harvest to sit at home and watch TV. That's not a call from God. And if you ever leave this ministry and go sit and watch TV, you, you're running from the call. Guess who's going to show up? God. Why? Because you can't run away from the call. The Bible says whom he loves, he what? Chastens. My mom used to say discipline isn't discipline unless it changes behavior. And if you're away from God tonight, you can try and run from the call, but God's going to chase you down. And those of us who've been stubborn, there's been times God's had to chase me down. It's painful and it's just as messy as being puked out on a, on a shore. And often I say, I should have taken the boat. <laughs>
<laughs> sure wish I could go back and take the boat. Let me challenge you tonight. You can't run away from God's call. There was a man named William Borden. William Borden was part of the Borden Fortune. Some of you remember Carnation Milk. And as he was part of the Borden Fortune, he felt called to go to the mission field. And so, instead of inheriting the fortune that he was intended to do, he went to Yale University and wrote inside his Bible, no reserves. As he graduated from Yale, he felt called to go to China as a missionary. His father came to him and he said, if you go to China, we will cut you out of the inheritance. You will not get a dime if you go to China. You need to stay here and work in the family business. And William Borden said, I don't care. God's called me to China. I have to go. And he wrote inside his Bible, no retreat. On his way to China, he stopped off in Egypt so he could start working on language. And while he was in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died. Never made it to China. As they shipped his body back, his Bible came back with it. And when his mom opened the Bible, she saw two more words. First of all, he said, no reserves. Secondly, he said, no retreat. But the last thing he wrote in his Bible before he died was, no regrets. No regrets. Boy, isn't that how you want to live your life? Wherever God calls you, that's the best place to be. Man, it was hard to go to Ankeny, Iowa. But I stand here starting my fourth year and I can stand and say, no regrets. I know God called me to do this. That doesn't mean it's easy, but I know that's what God wants me to do. Let me encourage you tonight. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. God is present in the call. And lastly, as we close, he's present when you or your loved ones are in trouble, self-inflicted or externally caused. Go over to Psalm chapter 46. Look in Psalm 46 tonight. Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Have you ever been in trouble? I could tell you a lot of times that I was in trouble. I remember one time we were, in a, we were visiting our family and we were coming down a hill and I had a, a pickup truck. I had all three of my kids in the back and an ice storm came in and it snowed on top of the ice. And again, if you've never seen snow, you can't understand this. Uh, but it was, it was like, riding a car on ice cubes. And we came around the corner, and instead of making the corner, the car slid sideways, and we hit the guardrail. It spun our truck, and it sent us over a ravine on the opposite side. And as our truck went over that ravine, the last thing my wife cried out was, God save us. And we don't know how many times we rolled down, and we ended up upside down. And when we came to, it knocked both my wife and I out. I actually broke my neck. And we were hanging upside down by our seatbelts. And we could hear our youngest screaming. And we looked back and she's the only one we saw. And both of us thought that we'd thrown our kids out and had rolled over them and killed them. Only a parent can understand that sick feeling. And the, thankfully the truth is my son had broken out the back window and gone up the hill for help. And I remember that night as we sat in a McDonald's picking glass out of us. And, all, and at that time, I didn't know I broke my neck. But we were all still alive. We were all still okay. And you realize all, all my wife had time to say was, God save us. 
But guess who was there? (laughs) God. Will you ever be in trouble? Will you ever be in so much trouble that came up so fast that all you can cry out is, God, save me? Isn't it wonderful tonight that God's there? Those of you that have kids that live a long ways away, isn't it great to talk to the God who can watch your kids? You can't be with your kids. You don't know what's going on, but you can talk to the God who does, and he's always there. And your kids are going to go through some difficult things, and you say, oh, how I wish I could be with you tonight, son. I I wish I could be with you, daughter. And you get off that phone, and you go to your knees, and you pray to the one who is there. Say, God, I need you to be with my son. I need you to be with my daughter tonight. This is a God worth worshiping tonight. He is absolutely everywhere. You can't run away from him, and why would you want to? But do you know how many of us, we don't read our Bibles, we don't pray, we aren't living the Christian life the way we should, and God's up in heaven going, you gotta be kidding me. What are you doing? You're not getting away with this. I see everything. I'm present in judgment. I'm present in mercy and grace. I'm present in the call. And I'm with you when you're in trouble or your loved ones are in trouble. We have an amazing God tonight. I wish that I could just spend every service just praising God and pointing people to Christ. If you could love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the blessings will far outweigh the challenges. We'll all have challenges in life, but praise God when you go through those, God's there. Don't you love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, the the music plays, Everyone needs to bow down. That's why you knew there's some Baptists there peeking, right? You know, the invitation. There's somebody like this, you know. And hey, those three guys didn't bow down. The king brings them in and said, hey, guys, did you get the memo? When the music plays, you're supposed to bow down. We got the memo, king, but we're not doing it. Tick the king off. He said, heat that furnace seven times hotter. They throw those guys in there. The guys throwing them in die because it's so hot. The king looks in. He says, man, how many did we throw in there? We threw in three. Isn't there four guys in there? Yeah, there's four guys, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Here's the point, by the way. Whether God showed up in the fire or showed up in heaven, was God going to show up? And that's what the Shadrach, Meshach, we're not careful to answer the O King. Whether God shows up in the fire or we meet him in heaven, we're going to stick with God. And in that case, God showed up in the fire. Remember, and the king says, come out. If I'd have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, i say, hey, why don't you come in? <laughs> and they come out, and they don't even smell smoky. It's a wonderful thing, and I could, I could go on and on tonight of the times I've been in trouble and cried out to God, and he showed up. Why? He's already there. You can't run away from this God, so run to him tonight. Run to him.